I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Happy 100th episode. Happy 100th. Can you believe that we've made it here? Can you believe that two Canadian groupie feminists who started a podcast have made it to 100 episodes? It's incredible. And to see the growth from talking about... You know, the women, the groupies, the muses who inspired to the CEOs, the PR women, the musicians themselves. It's been such an exciting journey. Yeah, it has been uh, a lot of ups. Yeah, really. A lot of highs. And uh, (laughs) going from just us two, which I always love, to, you know, getting some interviews in here and there. It's been so exciting. Like every step of the way has just been phenomenal. Joining a fantastic network, Pantheon, yeah. who also has um, a bunch of people with shows that are just dedicated to exploring rock history and music, and yeah. it's fun, it's entertaining. It's Every show is different, but we all have that universal passion and love for what we do and for the music and the artists that we talk about and... It really comes through in all of them. Yeah. After every episode, I feel inspired and rejuvenated and it keeps us going. It and does. I was speaking to people like Jenny Boyd, who was there with the Beatles in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading her book and just doing a podcast analysis of the book, thinking mm-hmm. that hopefully someday we can actually speak with her. And those dreams have been coming true. So thank you to everybody who's been with us since the beginning. Thank you to those who have just started listening. And if it's your first time that you're with us, welcome. Yeah, welcome. And we love hearing from everyone. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Find us, we're out there. Yeah, maybe as a 100th um, episode gift to us, you can rate us, review us. Yeah, on iTunes as well, please. Yeah. Yeah. So today's episode... Let's talk about our guest, our incredible guest. Yeah. For 100, that was perfect. It was. We got to speak with the incredibly impressive Evelyn McDonald. That's definitely a word that I would use to describe her. So Evelyn has been writing about popular culture and society for more than 30 years. She's the author of four books, as well as an associate professor in the English department and director of the journalism program at LMU. 
Yeah. In our episode today, we discuss and absolutely gush over her latest book, which is available now. So go get it. Absolutely. It's called Women Who Rock, Bessie to Beyonce, Girl Groups to Riot Girl. I loved this book so much. Not only do you get so much information out of it, but it's just the most beautiful book you've ever seen. It's written by a collective of incredible women, uh, all have their own fascinating story as well. And each chapter, each woman, each artist has the, a beautiful illustration also done by incredible women. And there's a playlist to go along with it. There's a playlist. It's just, it's so much fun. Agreed. Evelyn is also series editor for Music Matters, short books about iconic musicians. Check those out. I hope you enjoy this episode. It was such a pleasure talking to Evelyn. She's so inspiring. And all the women who are part of that book. And that book has now become a collective of women called Turn It Up. So look that up as well. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being here with us. Cheers to 100. Yeah. See cheers. you later. Enjoy the show. I'm so excited to be talking about this incredible book, Women Who Rock. I had so much fun reading this book. It's such a stunning book, too. Just everything about this book is amazing. Each chapter is written by an amazing woman. It includes stunning illustrations by some fantastic female artists. I'm curious, what made you decide to create this book? And would you tell us a little bit about the process of choosing the writers and artists? Did you always envision this to be written by a collective of women? Yes, that was definitely the goal from the beginning that this is a book about women and that it should be also told by women. And then the illustrators also all being women or female identified um, subjects uh, um, as well. Um, so uh, how did the idea come about? Well, you know, there hadn't been a book like this I mean, it's funny, I'm, you know, I've been around long enough that I not only remember the last time there was a book like this, I was a contributor to it, which was the Rolling Stone History of Women in Rock um, called Trouble Girls, um, which was over 20 years ago, as it was pointed out to me <laughs> by the editor at, um, at the publisher. Uh, and so there was, you know, a big gap. A lot had happened in those two decades. There was a lot of, of artists that had emerged and um, also sort of, you know, recognition of previous artists that um, maybe weren't always covered in the history books. So once we realized how long it had been and that there was this, this gap in the market, um, we started working on Women Who Rock. And, um, and, you know, certainly that Rolling Stone illustrator history was a model and and uh, the trouble girls was also all written by women writers so that was definitely a big in inspiration um now we you know created our own model in, in terms of certainly the artwork that it's as you said it's it's illustrations it's not photographs and it's all original illustrations all the essays are original to the book um and um Trouble Girls used photographs. Um, so I think, and I think that really made it something special. I mean, I like to say that it's portraits in words and then portraits in ink or paint or pencil or you know, the different media that, that the artists use. Um, the other thing that we did differently is that we made each chapter, each essay be about a single artist, a single subject. Um, so Trouble Girls sometimes um, sort of put different artists or movements together. Um, and we decided that we really, again, wanted these to be portraits of individuals or of, you know, a, a band, right? Um, as opposed to uh, essays about, say, a scene or, or a genre. And, you know, I mean, there's, you know, uh, there's a spate, of these kinds of feminist histories that have been coming out um, that tend to be illustrated. Um, so I think uh, that was probably more in the publisher's head than in mine because, um, you know, I don't, I was, I don't live in that world in the, the same way um, of thinking, you know, what else are on the bookshelves? Um, you know, and then also 
I mean, when we started working on this, it was actually back, we first started talking about it, I think, in August of 2016. So, you know, we thought that, um, we thought that the United States was about to elect its first woman president. Yeah. So it felt like this kind of, you know, important moment um, and a time when, you know, women's history was being rewritten and acknowledged and transformed and that we could be part of that. Um, Of course, that sadly changed, you know, before the ink on my contract, um, before I'd even signed my contract. Did it ever. Changed, yes. And, you know, and it's just... Um, sort of continued to change in the, you know, more than two years now. Um, but I, I like to say that, you know, the book went from being timely to being necessary. Absolutely. Uh, I really loved going through each chapter. One of the fun things was getting to see, like, what the illustration was going to be, and all of them are so stunning. That was a great choice. Just holding the book and looking through it, it has a certain energy to it. The book itself has an energy when you hold it. And even seeing it for the first time before I got to see the book as the PDF, that was my kind of immediate feel towards it. Good. I'm glad that came across electronically because I do think that there's, um, you know, just the heft of the book, the fact that it's over 400 pages, is its, its own kind of statement. Um, and the the publisher Black Dog and Leventhal did a great job of designing it. I mean they that is that's what they do. They they started as a book packager, so um you know, they're really really good at um at the creating a, a package and, and uh, you know the graphics. Um so uh I really have to hand that to them. Um and I think it but I do think it also fit really well with the words. Um and sometimes I think some people, it takes people a while, and, you know, this is what I'm finding, the sort of delayed reaction to the book, that um, people flip through it and look at all the artwork before they, it takes them a while to finally start reading. Um, and I think that once they do start reading, they, that they find that equally rewarding, I hope. Absolutely. It was really interesting. I noticed most of the pieces, if that person didn't have a personal connection to the person they were writing about. They they had that connection of, you know, growing up admiring that person. And did you align the pieces with the writers or did they ask to write about those specific women? Yeah. So here's how the process happened of figuring out who was going to be in the book and who was going to write it. Um, I, I came up with an initial list of um, subjects that I thought could or or should be in the book, um, you know, looking at books that have come before and then, you know, artists that have come out since and um, looking through my record collection and um, things like that. So I came up with a list that was already too long, right? It was already, you know, we, we were trying to keep it less than 100 women um, and we actually went slightly over. Um, and so I came up with my list and I went, you know, I shared it with the editor at, at Black Dog and Leventhal. Um, and then uh, I contacted, um, I think, about 15 women writers that I knew, um, some of them journalists, some of them, um, you know, in, in, at universities, university-based scholars, um, some uh, more creative writers or also musicians, and told them about the project and asked them to nominate 10 writer, 10, I mean, 10 subjects that they would personally like to write about in the book and, and things should be in the book without telling them who was on my list. Right. Cool. So then, so then I, you know, got those results um, and, you know, created a big spreadsheet that, you know, and counted like which subjects got the most votes. And um, if there were people that I thought should have been in the book that, Nobody voted for, um, I either chucked them, that person out of the book, or if if it was some that I really thought should be in the book, I did um, solicit some writers uh, for specific subjects. But I really wanted 
that passion that you talked about, that connection to the subject, had to come across in these essays. Like they had to be driven appreciations. Uh, you know, it's not an encyclopedia, right? It's not meant to just be dry and informational. Um, it's meant to be, a, you know, a good piece of literature, <laughs> um, you know, or 104 pieces of literature uh, that you can, you know, you can read one a day <laughs> or two a day. Um, and that, you know, reading it makes you want to listen to the artist. And then we provide the playlists also for you to listen to each artist. We loved that bit. Um, the addition of the playlist where you, if you don't are, if you're not already familiar with the artist, then you get to listen to their work. So, um, yeah, we love that when you can listen to the playlist as you read the chapter. So, yeah. did you choose the playlist? It was a great the, idea. And in all the cases but one, the, the writer chose the playlists. Um, in the case of uh, June Millington, um, June herself chose the a playlist of Fanny tracks that's in that chapter. So that's kind of cool. That's so cool. That was one of the chapters. I didn't know anything about her or Fanny, and that was so exciting as well to go through the book and see so many familiar faces, but I also learned about artists I'd never heard of before. And I got to, because of the playlist as well, like explore their music. And now I'm a fan of a bunch of other people now. It's really exciting. Great. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's certainly one of the goals of the book. Um, I mean, if it was just, you know, all the predictable subjects, uh, you know, I, I think that would be a lot less interesting and, um, useful for people. So we definitely wanted to, because, you know, one of the big goals here is, you know, that feminist act of reclamation that a lot of time these artists, you know, have not gotten their due, um, didn't get it in their own lifetimes and, you know, and maybe are still not getting it in the history books and hall of fames and other institutions um, dedicated to preserving uh, accomplishments um, so we definitely, you know, that that was a goal to to fill in those gaps and and expose people who, you know, needed more exposure. Absolutely, that sounds really in line with what our mission is for this podcast, as well. It's to shed light on those stories that maybe have been told, but they need to be told again and they need to be told louder. And it's the best when people think that they might know a few things on the certain topic or the certain person, but they get to read something like this or they get to listen to one of our episodes and go, "Hey, I didn't know that." Right, and also we tried to be really. Um, uh, Broad in, uh, you know, the both the time frame. Um, so, uh, you know, this idea that it's multi generational, and you, you know, a young woman might um, see some of her favorite contemporary artists in it, um, and then her mother might see some of her favorite artists from when she grew up, um, and that they can, you know, share that expertise and you know, really, you know, send each other to different essays. Um, and, and artists. And then also, um, you know, there's genre diversity. I mean, rock is in the title, but we always say rock is a verb, not a genre. Mm -hmm. um, and that we, you know, really wanted to talk about, and because rock has become very problematic that, you know, it was, um, you know, music, well, as, as Stephanie Phillips argues in the essay on Sister Rosetta Tharp, rock and roll was really created by a, a queer black woman, um, but most histories of, of rock and roll start with a white man like Elvis Presley. Yeah. So we wanted to address that and subvert it and um, mix it up and shake it up. Yeah, the diversity in the book is incredible, and I really love that you laid it out from the early stuff in like the 20s all the way to present day. And it was really interesting. I read the book in like a couple days. I just devoured this thing. And awesome. yeah, uh, it was really fascinating. I listened to all of the playlists while I was reading the chapters. And That's so great. <laughs> yeah. And you could really see, you could, you could hear the influence that these women had on the women that came after them. You know, you definitely especially when you do it in like three days, like you, you I, I could hear the progress and, you know, how music changed, but was the same. And like you said, it was interesting also reading about so many women 
who are very different from each other, but a lot of their stories are still the same. Right. It was, right. It was really fascinating. Right. To find those narrative threads that keep getting picked up. And, and it, you know, what's interesting for me about the book is that, you know, the book came in essay by essay. And so, you know, someone would turn in the chapter and I would edit it on the spot and, you know, send it on up. So um, it didn't come through, like, in the order that you're reading it. <laughs> like, I didn't, I actually, I don't know if I've ever sat down. No, I absolutely, I have. And, and when <laughs> it wasn't, but it wasn't until um, we had it all together as the first draft of the whole manuscript that I read it in the chronological order. Um, and that's, and that is when I wrote the intro and and really realized some of those connections and those those through lines. Oh, that's so yeah. neat because originally, you know, I jumped around. I went straight to Dolly because that's when we were doing our episode on Dolly and I went, Oh my goodness, Lucretia wrote this and we have a connection right. with Lucretia and I use some I of her words in our introduction and then you tagged us in that awesome Dolly post and this is our one hundredth episode. So to be a part Congratulations. of Congratulations. Thank <laughs> you. And to be having this conversation and uh, it's just incredible. And yet you persisted to your 100th episode. Exactly. It wasn't easy, but look at this. Yay. That's no, that's fantastic. And I feel really honored. And, and, um, I love that you guys do the show about muses and that, that you're honoring women artists Mm -hmm. and the way that they can, you know, this idea that they are, I, I assume that it's, you know, partly that they are, they are muses themselves. Absolutely. For you and for each other. Um, you know, because we think of that, you know, women, you know, as a muse to the male artist, right? Like mm-hmm. Sort of the conventional concept of the muse, right? Um, so I love the idea of the, the artists themselves being the muses. Oh, absolutely. When I was reading about you and your career and how involved you were in writing about the riot girl movement and all of that. I grew up, those women were my muses. Absolutely. Kathleen Hanna, L7, Courtney Love, like those women, I wanted to be those women growing up, you know? Right. It's just incredible. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. I was actually curious if you would talk a little bit about that 90s scene. It, it seems like it must have been just such an important amazing thing to be involved in and do you feel like that era is has similarities with this era right now well i mean we're literally seeing a resurgence i'll talk about that in a minute um but just to your first question so uh yes that was a really incredible moment um the early 90s to mid 90s and um this uh um uptick of of not not just women making music and, you know, getting um, played on the radio for it, uh, but also, you know, creating music that was avowedly feminist and political and creating an activist 
scene or multiple scenes around it in terms of Rock for Choice and, and Riot Girl. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and for me personally, I am, you know, slightly older than, certainly than some of the Riot Girls. Um, and even then, I'm, I'm probably about the same age as Courtney, but, um, but, you know, I, I had been a working journalist already. I'd been, you know, hanging out with bands for a long time and I'd, um, but hungering for something like this and sort of, you know, I uh, was too young for that first wave of women in punk. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, Patty Smith was, you know, my muse, the person who inspired me in so many ways to write about music and, you know, to pursue music as a passion as, as a writer. Um, but, I never, I always felt kind of alone. I always felt like the lone wolf. Um, and, you know, every, you know, I'd have some friends that were in the music scene, but it was actually really hard and there was always competition and uh, usually I just had to be one of the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when Riot Girl came along, um, I was so heartened, um, although felt a little bit like the older sister. <laughs> was trying to yeah. support it. And I mean, I, you know, I, uh, um, I did participate and, um, I was involved in Riot Girl New York and, and we, and then we also started, some of us in the industry started our own organization called Strong Women in Music. And, um, so, and I do feel like this is happening again now. Um, I think there's incredible women out there now and some of them are the same women that were out there in the first wave of punk and some of them are the same women who were there for riot girl and they're also connecting with the younger women so i love that because as much as i loved riot girl it did feel very like tied into a very specific age group and scene um and it did not feel um as inclusive as it could have so i i don't know how much ty has Lucretia Taya, Jasmine has talked to you about this, but, you know, we've started a group here in L.A. Um, called Turn It Up. Oh, yeah, we yep. were going to ask you about that. Yeah, so it's so Just amazing. And it, <laughs> and it grew out of the book, which is also, you know, for, for me, absolutely mind-blowing. It, it grew out of another radio show we did for the book. Um, where seven of us were there at the radio station talking and... Actually, it was while I was in the studio, you know, doing most of the narration, some Ty and Alice Bag and uh, some of the other contributors, Alice Wooden Wolf, you know, one of the original rock girls, were there saying, let's, let's like, keep this going. Let's not just stop with this book or, or this radio show. Um, let's, let's form a group and try to make it so um, women don't have to go through these battles that the women in this book have you know, went through. Um, and so that we, you know, and so that we don't need even a book just honoring women because they're, they're getting their due their whole lives and they're in the hall of fame and proportionate numbers and, you know, they're getting the Grammys, um, that they deserve. And, and again, you know, so it's Alice, it's Allison, it's, it's me. And there's also, um, you know, younger women and artists and DJs involved. Uh, and I'm hoping it's going to continue to be, you know, intersectional and diverse, which, starting off as so uh, we'll see we'll see what happens it's okay. very very new it's exciting can't wait to see what happens Lynx and i actually went out um and had a drink with a couple of um younger i guess yeah young women in the music industry that we met through pamela debar's uh writing group and what you what you had said about feeling like the big sister it kind of struck me that you know, in ways, there are sometimes when Lynx and I feel like the big sister to right. other girls in the music industry, and we can see, you know, where they are at in their lives and their career. And then sometimes we can definitely see who our big sisters in this industry are. And it's just such a cool thing to have this diversity in all of our ages. And it's actually a vi- it's a positive thing. So we're taking this whole thing as an aging, which has been a negative thing for women for so long, and turning it into such a positive because we have so much respect for the women who have been working so hard for 20, 30, 50 years here and then 
also honoring those younger women coming up and just all working together. How good does that feel? That it's incredible. And you know, the, the, everybody likes to talk about feminism in waves and that, you know, somehow, uh, that it's, um, episodic and that it's not united and that each, you know, generation creates its own. And, 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 you know, I can see that there's some truth in, in that, but, um, I think that discounts that we do learn from each other and uh, we do appreciate each other. And, and, and I, and I think that what's happening now is that women are resisting that notion that um, they're not connected to their past. Um, And also I hope that, and I see a lot of women, you know, my age or maybe even older um, really reaching out to younger women and, and trying to understand and, you know, uh, and trying to support them. So. Exactly. Yeah. It's so important. I was going to ask you about, uh, the strong women in music. You were a founding member of that in the nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did your passion for writing combine with your passion for music and feminism? Was that always your goal? Um, I don't think it was. I actually think that being, trying to, write about music, I became more politicized because I saw how difficult it was. It was such a boys club. Um, and I felt so, um, uh, condescended to and patronized and marginalized, um, that it really, I mean, it was all, I'd, I'd always identify as a feminist. You know, my mother was a big inspiration on me and, and she was certainly a feminist um, but, you know, I, I think that I grew up in the seventies and there was this feeling, you know, that things were changing, um, and that girls could do anything. And then, then I crashed into the boys club of music criticism, um, and of the music industry in general. Uh, so, and I mean, so that's why, uh, when Wyatt Girl and other things like the women's action coalition and the women's health action mobilization, I mean, there's a lot of that direct action, uh, those direct action political groups in the early 90s, and, you know, all sort of inspired by ACT UP, right? That definitely galvanized me. And, you know, Strong Women in Music, like, I think we didn't even last a year, but it was a very powerful year. We had some great events. It was a good group of women. And, you know, there's um, one company that formed out of that group that still exists to this day and is a, a real powerhouse in the music industry called Girly Action. Um, so I feel like that's part of our legacy. And we had a member of Girly Action at our Turn It Up meeting the other day, too. So <laughs> that's so cool, continuing it on. Yeah, yeah. And, and but she's, you know, she's not one of the, the founders are still in New York uh, and still, you know, good, good, good friends of mine. Um, and I'm sure very supportive. But this was a younger woman who's on the West Coast here. So um, where did your passion for music come from? Oh, I mean, I, I, I guess mostly from my mom. Uh, she she actually loved musical theater, but she loved all music. Uh, she would sing around the house, and my parents just... My dad loves music also, um, so they gave us guitars when we were young. We had a piano in the house. I mean, they didn't play. My mom sang, um, but there was, the, you know, a record player in the living room, and I just since I was a little kid, loved music. Um, I loved the Jackson Five. <laughs> I loved the musicals that, you know, my mom would play. And uh, then, I, then I loved the Beatles. I never was any good at playing music. <laughs> um, Same. I tried. Same. You know, I you know, wish I had had a, a good voice or a good ear. Um, was not so blessed. Uh, so writing was, but I always loved to write, you know, that too, ever since I was a kid. Um, so that's been my way of keeping connected with music. I feel like that's goes the same for Shanti and I. Our parents had incredible taste in music. Yeah. Uh, got that from them, grew up singing and dancing in the kitchen with our families. But maybe right. just not quite for the stage. No. Right. <laughs> like I, I can read. Find another way to like work our way into music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to, you know, we'd 
spent a lot of time driving around the country because my parents were teachers, so we had the summers off. Um, and so I'd be in like the back of the car singing out the, the car window or, you know, singing along to the radio or, uh, you know, um, whatever. And my brother, you know, I have an older brother. He was also very, very into music. Um, he had the great record collection. Same. Um, yeah, same. I had an older brother with a great taste in music as well. He was more musically inclined than I was. I could read sheet music and play the piano, but I never had that, that ear, whereas he could sit down and he would just start banging out New Year's Day by you 2 on the piano <laughs> first right. try. Um, that's interesting that your your parents are uh, teachers. I'm also a teacher as well, a full-time elementary school teacher. Um, oh, good for you. And, and you're a teacher. And, you're a teacher. So can and you, I'm a, yeah, I'm a college professor. A college yes, professor. I, <laughs> yeah. I fell into my parents' profession, although I, it took me um, a long time <laughs> to, to finally take up the family business. I sort of actively resisted it, to be honest. Um, well, how did you end up there? Um, the economic crash happened. And also, um, I got tired of having to go to shows every night. Um, and I had a small child. Um, so I just, and I also was just like, you know, I think I'm ready to pay this forward, um, pay what I've learned forward and start training the next generation of journalists. I love that. So, so yeah. So how long felt, have you been doing that for? Uh, just for about eight years wow. at LMU. Yeah. I saw that you were yeah. part of um, like a Riot Girl film festival there as well. Yeah, we produced this really fun film festival. You guys did your research. I'm so impressed. Um, <laughs> a, a plus there. Uh, um, yeah, we did this festival a couple of years ago. I co-produced it with, I found a cohort in the School of Film and Television at LMU. I found a woman, Sharon Mooney, who's a film editor, who is also, you know, big Riot Girl fan, women in punk fan. Um, and once we connected, she came up with this idea of let's do a film festival. Um, so we did it. It was really, really great. Um, it was exhausting, Yeah, <laughs> but it was like a three days of films and panels and bands. And, um, I don't think LMU had any idea what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking at it, I was like, I was so jealous that I couldn't have gone. Like, if I were in LA, I definitely would have been there for that. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I think we both uh, have just been too busy to try to do that again. I mean, it was really an all-consuming effort. And um, I guess, I guess Turn It Up is sort of my next uh, step in that direction. I mean, I started working on Women Who Rock, too. So that was, that kept me busy. So, and Sharon's working on films, so it's also amazing as you sound um so busy and uh that's incredible. With um you know, we had mentioned that people like the slits, for example, couldn't be included in the book. Are we thinking there might be a women who rock too? You know, I I would love it. Um uh certainly I mean it would be very easy to make a two or a three or a four. Um, or there could also be, you know, honky-tonk women or, you know, yeah. uh, ladies sing the blues, you know, there's or, or uh, transformers, you know, uh, people who've um, uh, busted gender boundaries and stereotypes, and, you know, on both sides of the gender divide. We'll see. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know. Uh, the publishers hasn't, seemed so hot on the idea of a part two so i think we, we need to sell more books and, and then maybe there'll be wow. a part two did you hear that listeners exactly. <laughs> go book, pick up your copy today it's a like, perfect i don't actually i don't know when this airs but it's a perfect valentine's present cause it's, you know it's pink so it is, give it to, give it to the women you love you know there's an international uh, women's month coming out I, alice at at the we had our you know turn it out uh, inaugural mixer the other day and Alice Bag held the book up and said, this is the big, hard pink seed out of which we want to grow a movement. Um, so, yeah. I was actually curious about that. You did mention the slits being one that you really, really were wanted in, but just didn't make the cut. Were there any others 
that were on your list but weren't on anyone else's that you know you you're kind of upset about or that you want our listeners to you know yeah, do additional research yeah oh there there were definitely a few and then there was some that maybe one other person wanted and we went back and forth so i mean i, I think the one that i most actively sought and and somehow never found although you know now people have said oh, i would have written about her uh was mary j blige um oh, yeah. who i'm a huge fan of uh but just somehow, I don't know. <laughs> no, I couldn't find anybody to write about her. It's crazy. Um, there's like 103 women in there, but there are still so many more that you could add. There's just so many. And um, especially, you know, if you want to think big, I mean, um, Dinah Washington, Bette Midler, um, you know, speaking of muses, throwing muses, which was, you know, one of the first bands I ever wrote about professionally. Um, that was hard for me to let go of for Kristen Hirsch of Thorin Muses. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great you know. seeing the GTOs in there. Yes. Lucretia Ty Jasmine again. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm sure there's people who are like, why were they in there instead of so many, so many people, but you know, I just, I think that they tell a really interesting story and they represent um, how, a lot of people, what a lot of people think of when they think of women in rock. A lot of people think of groupies, right? A lot of people think of the, the consort of the rock star. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I didn't want to dismiss that history. And I love that the GTOs, you know, said, we're not just going to be adjacent to the rock star. We're going to like be the rock star. Um, we're going to get on stage too. So, and, you know, and this is, you know, a different kind of story to tell. Betty Davis, a, a similar kind of figure, um, certainly has you know had a big renaissance in the last couple of years, but definitely not in previous history books. Mm-hmm. Um, but was actually interestingly got was tied with Beyonce for the most votes from the initial polling that I did of, of writers. That's so cool. Yeah, I was like, okay, I knew I had a good group of people when Betty Davis and Beyonce were the two top vote getters. Nice. <laughs> awesome. I was wondering that, kind of thinking like I would like to see that spreadsheet. So yeah, neat. those are, yeah, those were the two that got, I think they got seven or something. So it still wasn't that, all that money maybe, might have been more than that. But um, yeah, I haven't looked at that spreadsheet for a while either. It would be interesting in retrospect. Yeah, just um, well, you had mentioned going to shows and um, concerts and things, so you must have witnessed some incredible shows. When you look back, are there any shows in particular or any moments you'd like to go back and relive? And are you looking forward to any upcoming concerts or anything like that? Wow. I, you know, I have seen so many shows in my life. Um, and the bad thing about that is that sometimes they're completely jumbled together and some of them I don't even remember I'd be like was I at that show I was at that show uh what happened at that show Mm um uh and you know on top of me not having the greatest memory in the world anyways so I don't know um Polly Jean Harvey in a little (sighs) club in the East Village called Sinead it wasn't even a club it was a cafe it held like maybe maybe 50 people it was when she first came to america um it's where jeff buckley used to sing every week i I saw him there also yeah it's where he got his fame is that on like saint mark's it what i think it was on saint mark's yeah yeah i think it was um so that was really amazing um that's actually where girly action the inspiration for girly action came from because she covered the Rolling Stones song satisfaction, which has that line. I can't get no. And some people say it's, I can't get no girl reaction. And some people sing it as girly action. She sang it as girly action. Um, so that's where that and girly action actually was the name of our, uh, direct action part of swim. Um, that then became the name of a publicity and marketing company. Um, <laughs> Bikini Kill, Bikini Kill, a Gilman Street project uh, in like 92, 91, 92. Um, a zillion Slater Kinney shows. Uh, this is like Patty Smith. And, 
Patty Smith in Toronto when yeah. she first came out of her seclusion after the death of her husband Fred. Mm-hmm. That which was the first time I ever saw her perform, so it was just amazing for me. She's my all-time favorite performer that I've ever seen live. There's just something so incredible about her. I, I feel like she's like a magnet, and she just the audience. She just attracts them. It's 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 something you have to be there to experience. It's like a religious moment. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sylvaisco, yeah. uh, I think, did a great job of capturing that in her essay on Patty. Absolutely. As well. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a way in which she kind of, um, it's very like transformative, like, uh, she's almost like the kind of possession mm-hmm. <laughs> when she's on stage. Um, and, and it's that. so great that like all these people are still performing and I actually, me and my friends managed to get bikini kill tickets. So we're going to get to see them for the first time now too. And in New York or yeah, in New York. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Yes, I got tickets too. And I'm excited. Though I have seen them several times. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, God, there's so many, so many great shows. Um, Marianne Faithful. Oh, oh yeah. Cool. So good. So the one artist I never saw that I, you know, wish I could have, but she just never performed anywhere that I could see her was Nina Simone. Oh, yeah. Um, I would have loved to have seen her. This has been such an awesome conversation. Um, Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your 100th podcast. Thank you. Are there any other projects or collectives that you're involved in that you'd like to chat about or anything, uh, any other books that we haven't mentioned? Yeah, actually, I am series editor for a new series of books called the Music Matters series. It's on the University University of Texas Press. Uh, we had our first two books published in the fall, um, Why the Ramones Matter by Dr. Donna Gaines and Why the Beach Boys Matter by Tom Smucker. Um, and we have our next book coming out in May or April, maybe even. Um, I think it's, I think it's officially June 1st, but it will be in stores by May. Um, and it's why Karen Carpenter's where why Karen Carpenter matters. Uh, it's by a uh, Dr. Karen Tongson, who is a professor at University of Southern California, and who was named after Karen Carpenter oh, cool. by her you know Filipino um, musician parents. Um, so it's a really, really interesting, you know, partly um, first person, uh, you know, long. These these are short books or very long essays, kind of deep dives into artists and their importance. Um, it's really, really great. It just talks a lot about um, identity and inspiration. And, you know, she's Karen's, you know, Filipino-American, you know, uh, growing up in suburbs much of California, much like Karen Carpenter, but, you know, was a very kind of uh, butch queer woman. Um, so she just talks about that. And and then the book that comes out after that in that series is in the fall. It's called Why, um, Why Lhasa Matters. It's about the late singer Lhasa de Sela, um, who was actually very big in Canada because she, um, although she was American born, she uh, really began her musical career living in Montreal. Um, And that's by Fred Goodman. And it's also an amazing read. Um, So, and it tells her story. She died tragically young of breast cancer um, and just had this incredible life and nobody has documented it before. Um, That's fantastic. Get to read more about some incredible musicians. Yep. You can't get enough, Um, so this is perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Where can listeners uh, find all of these links? Where can they find you and all of the amazing things that you're doing? So um, I am on Twitter as Evelyn McDonald. It's probably the best way to keep up to date and... um, uh, there are uh, 
there's a link to Women Who Rock um, on my Twitter account. I'm also on Instagram, although I'm like not the best Instagram, and I, I'm a little more active on Facebook. Uh, I have a blog called Populism Blog. Um, it's at, uh, a WordPress blog, uh, so you can also find links to the book fair and other things that I'm doing. Perfect. We'll make sure to put that on our site as well. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, we have plans to go and visit Ty and Pamela DeBar and everybody, and neither of us have been to L.A. or California before, so we're putting all of our um, hard work and money in our piggy bank, and we're hoping to make a trip down, and hopefully we can include you in the trip as well. That would be great. You know, I should say that um, the first book that I ever edited, uh, which, you know, Women Who Rock is kind of a good follow-up to, was Rock She Wrote, uh, which was right. a collection yep. of essays about by, uh, not, a, not about women, but by women um, that Ann Powers and I co-edited in the mid-90s. And there is a Pamela DeBar essay in that book. Amazing. So, yeah, all comes back. Yeah, it all does. I mean, but it, it all just uh, this whole thing is just this whole experience has just been super inspiring. Thank you, Evelyn. This has been a total pleasure. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.